Welcome to the King's Chapel Alaska podcast. From wherever you are listening, we are so excited that you tuned in today. Let's prepare our hearts to hear from God's Word. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Jonah. Jonah, page 1320, if you have the same Bible I have, on this Sunday before the election. I labored much to bring you this word. It is my sincere prayer that it messes you up with truth and brings revelation to transform your life. I don't know what you're going through, what you've been through. I do know this, that God is able to bring you through, heal you, heal your marriage, heal your kids, heal your money. God is able to help you, strengthen you, and release his plan and purpose for the reason for which you're breathing and living. He has a plan for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to, to give you hope and a future. God has a plan. So let you get your hope up today as we stand for the reading of God's word. I've entitled this message, God's Plan for America. Jonah 3, verse 1. Now the Lord, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach a message to it that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk, and he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I want you to go to verse 9, verse 7b, pardon me. The king's decree says, Let neither man nor beast nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat nor drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, cry mightily unto God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil ways, And from the violence of his own hands, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And God saw their works. What? God saw their works, verse 10. They turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, was not this what I said you would do? When I was in my own country, therefore I fled to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life. (laughs) What a knucklehead. Please take my life, for it is better that I would die than live. Father, move in power. Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We do have notes. We'd encourage you to use those. As we move along, I uh, labored much, as I said, in the preparation of bringing you this word. Most of, most of the preparation is seeking the Lord and praying and going through things. I, I uh, prepared a message in part uh, about voting and how important it is for you to vote the issues. I had a conversation with somebody who's very close to me, who I respect greatly, except in, their, in the conversation, uh, they made it plain who they voted for, and it was simply based not upon, not upon what is right, not upon what is wrong from a Judeo-Christian understanding, but they voted basically based on personality, literally based their vote on personality. 
And as I heard that, my response respectfully was, you realize what you just said. You're telling me that you're voting based on your opinion of their personality of someone, not based upon track record or issues. Well, it didn't go all that well. I think that was the end of our conversation, but make sure you vote. I was in Washington, D.C. Again, God, a special message for today. Uh, I was in Washington, D.C. And uh, when I was, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 years old. I've been twice, but the once when I went and when I was in high school affected me more because I just understood more. And we toured Washington, D.C. It's a beautiful city. Went to the monuments and the uh, memorials and but the one that affected me the most was the Lincoln Memorial. And at the Lincoln Memorial, for one thing, it's so gargantuan and so massive. And as we walked in, you, you see this picture of Lincoln on this chair, the great emancipator. And let me say this, that Lincoln, when he took office, understand that he did not know God. I think he was a believer of sorts, but he wasn't born again. And a pastor of the New, a pastor of the uh, New York Presbyterian Church in Washington D.C. made it his personal call to witness to the president and to share the good news of Christ with him. And Lincoln was born again. Lincoln prayed the prayer that some of you just prayed in the early part of this service, and gave his life to Christ. And he became the great emancipator. And when you go to the Lincoln Memorial. It's moving because Scripture is everywhere. It's all over the walls. I mean, they have tried to remove Scripture from schools. I mean, I don't, you know, if you, get, you try to remove Scripture from everything in America, you're going to have to chisel up every single memorial we have. No, that's not going to happen. America's going to have a great awakening. That's what I believe is going to take place. I think America's going to come back to God. Can you say amen? God's plan for America is a great outpouring, a great deluge of souls coming into the kingdom. That is God's plan. Lincoln, whether you realize it or not, he believed that the Civil War was God's judgment on America for slavery. And that could very well be true, the atrocity of slavery. If you are a student, a student of wars in the United States, and you look at all of the wars from the history of the United States from the American Revolution forward, and you look at all the deaths of all the wars. The American Revolution, some people think, oh, wow, that'd be lots of people died. Yes, lots of people died, especially given the population. 25,000 people died in the American Revolution. And you go through and you look at all the statistics of all the, all the Americans that died and all the wars that we've been in. The War of 1812, the, the, uh, the Korean War, the Vietnam War, the World War I, World War II. You look at all of the wars and you total all of the deaths of the Americans for all the wars. They still don't exceed the amount of deaths in the Civil War. The Civil War had 650,000 deaths in the Civil War. Americans, brothers fighting against brothers. And yet, new statistics show, statistics show that that number is inaccurate, that the number now is more around 
750,000 to 850,000 Americans died in the Civil War. That is more than all the wars combined. All of them. Combine them, they're not more than that. That is astounding. Wow. It's very possible that the Civil War was judgment from God for slavery. One thing's for sure. If you're a student of God's Word, you can't get away from the fact that the that, that sins of nations will bring judgment. You can't get, up, you can't get away from that. You, you, you can't. That's just a biblical reality. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe that God's like that. Well, that's because you made a God of your own understanding as opposed to one from Scripture. You make a God of your own understanding, you can believe whatever you want. Fall in love with a soap dish and get married and call that your wife if you want to. But that's not biblical and it's not right. You can't vote on what's right. There's right and wrong in Scripture and that's it. So there is, since nations, write in your notes, since nations reflect the sins of people, you know, America's, America's got some issues. We got some problems. You say, well, then are we headed for judgment? I don't doubt that some of what's taking place in California is, is the judgment of God. I, I'm not going to be the one that says that this is judgment and this isn't. I mean, God knows. I know that he's good. Come on, someone say God's good. He said, well, Pastor, you're kind of freaking me out. Good. You should, you should see things from a biblical viewpoint. A look at God's judgment. And don't worry. Come on, tap your neighbor and say, don't worry. It'll get happy by the end. Okay, but we're going to get into it just a little bit here. God judges cities, nations, along with individuals. Matthew chapter 11, the words of Jesus, verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed, these are the words of Jesus, it's in red, were performed in you, had been performed in you, were performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented. So he's rebuking them. Verse 22, but I tell you, it's more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment. Now that's talking about a judgment of the nations that's to come on the day of judgment. America will be judged. There is a judgment. The great white throne of judgment is the, the judgment for the nation. So that'll come. And then there's a judgment seat of the believer too, that you'll be judged as a believer. You say, well, I thought, I thought all of that's gone when we received Jesus. no. No, judgment under condemnation, hell, that's taken care of. But you still have to give an account for your words and your deeds. Wow. God judges cities, nations. He judges people. He goes on to say in verse 23, and you, Capernaum, you think you're all that in a bag of chips? Oh, no. And Capernaum was where Jesus set up his base camp of operations. He said, no, you go down to Hades. Look at verse 23. Hades is another name for H-E double hockey stick. Hell. For if the miracles were performed to you, been performed in, so in Sodom, they would have repented to this day. That literally, the release of miracle power was a way for God to win the hearts of people. There were signs that pointed to the fact that he's, that he's on the throne, that he's the creator of heaven and earth, that he sent his one and only son to die, that whosoever would believe on him. That those signs and those wonders, those miracles, should, produced, should have produced in them what? repentance should produce in them a changed heart. And he's saying, but it didn't, so y'all in trouble. This is Jesus. Okay, well, why would it be worse for, for them for Sodom? Because the king of the kingdom had come to them, Jesus the Messiah. And there's another principle here that everyone needs to understand. In Luke 12, verse 48, it says that to him much has been given, much is required. There's a principle 
that if you have been granted much, then much is required. I'm going to tell you that America is the most blessed nation in all the earth. No, it isn't. You haven't traveled and you're uneducated. Oh, we got issues, but it's still the greatest nation in all the earth. Pretty aggressive, Pastor Daniel. I'm just getting started. There's a second principle in judgment, the principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians 6 and 9 says, pardon me, 6 and 7 says what? Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he what he reaps, what he sows, that all of us are farmers of sorts. That the seeds that you're putting in the ground, financial, emotional, spiritual, all the seeds of your life, your actions that you take, will produce a harvest. When I first gave my life to Christ, I've told this many, many times before, it's funny and, and uh, sad all at the same time. I gave my life to Jesus, and I'd done a lot of things in my past life that I certainly wasn't proud of. I sowed a lot of seeds in my life that weren't good. And so when I came to Jesus, I remember my mother saying to me, son, praise God, you're in Christ now. You've received Jesus. I'm like, I know, mom. It's awesome. She says, the blood of Jesus covers all of your sin, but there's still consequences. I'm like, wait, what? See, some of you think you could just come to Jesus. There's no consequences. Thank God for his mercy where he makes some consequences just evaporate. Amen. But other times you have to live with some things, the choices that you made, right? I mean, you can smoke two packs of cigarettes for 20 years and you come to Jesus and you realize, well, I shouldn't poison my temple anymore. Great. You still have the consequences of that, and God can heal you. I said God can heal you. Let me say that again. God can heal you. We believe in divine healing. So my mother said to me, you know, you've sown some seeds that are not so good. I'm like, I know. I know. She said, well, you need to pray for crop failure. I thought, amen. Come on, let's all pray for crop failure, God. Oh, let there be a crop failure of the seeds that we sowed. January 22nd, 2021 is the birthday of Roe versus Wade. It's the 48th anniversary of the Supreme Court decision that legalized abortion in all 50 states. And as that somber day approaches, I did the math actually in analyzing from statistics from the National Right to Life, and it is estimated six. 52 million, 939,830 babies' lives have been ended through legal, legal abortion in those 48 states since that time. Uh, for, pardon me, 48 years. In the 48 years, 60, almost 63 million babies. 63 million babies. 63 million. Gosh, I have to be careful because if I say it again, I'm going to get in trouble. 63 million. I'm in trouble. So if you call yourself a believer, easy. If you call yourself a believer, now a real believer believes that Jesus Christ was crucified for their sin and rose again from the grave and does not continue in sin. So you can't say, you're, you can't say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's my savior. And then continue in sin because then you've really not been born again. You're not a real believer. You understand? First John talks about that. The acid test on what a real believer is. So you can say you love Jesus all you want to, lift your hands with tears running down your eyes and live like the devil. Got news for you. 
fornicators, adulterers, 1 Corinthians 6. I'm not feeling the love right now, but I do feel the power of the Holy Ghost. Will not inherit the kingdom of God, okay? So if you say you're a believer, but you live a lifestyle of fornication, adultery, and so on and so forth, then, then you're not going to have it. I don't care. You think that God's winking at your sin? He does not any more than he winked at the death of his son, Jesus. You've got to stop that. So, you call yourself a believer, then a real believer is someone who not only believes that Jesus was crucified and rose again from the grave, but believes that God's word is God's word, and not only that, endeavors to obey it. Now, I know that all of us struggle in different areas, and we stumble in all kinds of ways, and you're supposed to live a lifestyle of repentance. But it is very clear in Scripture that murder is a sin. And that little baby in that womb has no choice. They're being murdered. Innocent children being murdered. It is very clear in Scripture that homosexuality is sin. I'm not against homosexuals. I pray they get set free and delivered. But when a nation like ours begins to endorse the killing of 63 million children, and then begins to undermine what is biblical marriage and endorse same-sex marriage and actually encourage it in California schools and remove from the, the laws of the land to say that reparative therapy is wrong and it's a hate crime, and you begin to step away from all of the things that Scripture calls right, true, and just, then you have to be dumb as a, blind as a bat to not realize that God is going to have to deal with that sin in our nation. <laughs> Come on, someone say mercy. Okay. But you understand. So you, just, just because it you know, hasn't possibly been dealt with yet, and I said California might be going through some of those things. They lead the way. Liberal nonsense. Well, let's move on to the next point. The third principle at work in judgment is, and don't worry, you're going to leave really encouraged. We're getting there. Come on, bump your neighbor and say, hang on. All right. The third principle at work in judgment is covenant curses and blessings. And really all of that's tied up kind of in what I've already said. Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim is this two mountains, and they weren't really mountains, they were more like hills. And when Israel walked between the two, and you can read the story in Deuteronomy, all of the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 were proclaimed on one side, and all of the curses proclaimed on the other, like a giant illustrated sermon. And as they walked through, they heard, if you obey the Lord, then you'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed going in, blessed going out. And they heard at the same time on the other side, if you disobey the Lord, you'll be cursed in the city, cursed in the field, and the, the heavens will be brass and the earth will be iron. And these blessings and curses, so very clearly there are covenant blessings and covenant curses. The twofold purpose of judgment, right back in your notes, number one is to purge evil. To purge what? To purge evil. Listen, God's the same. The same is true today. The Hebrews, if give you a New Testament scripture, those whom the Lord loves, he chastises. Listen, I love my son and I love my daughter. And they're, they're, he's a great man and I got a great woman of God that we've raised. But I'll tell you, in the process of raising them, they did some things that required some chastisement. It's like that story years ago about the kid that was just, you know, a biter and scratcher in a church and just didn't listen to anybody, didn't listen to mom, didn't listen to dad. It's just running around rampant, 
foolishness is bound up on the heart of the child. And so after some event that took place in the church, they, they gave the kid a timeout in a crib and called the mom. Put the number up on the screen, that dreaded thing that happens at, from time to time. And the mom came back, and, and there was little Johnny behind the crib, ah, screaming, freaking out. The mom came in and said, how dare you put him behind there? That's like a prison. And the very wise mother in Israel, you know what a mother in Israel is? That's someone who's lived many generations, a lot more than you or me. And they're standing there and says, well, sweetheart, you better teach him to obey and control himself. Otherwise, you will have a prison ministry. Let's just all lift our hands and say hallelujah. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the Lord bringing correction in my life. I, and as a parent, you have to bring correction to your kid. Do you not think that God will correct things in your own life? Come on, if you have something, he corrected me with the oppression thing. Don't partner with the, with the oppressor or you'll change the seasons I have, son. Don't do that. That was a rebuke. It's to purge things. Twofold purpose of judgment is, is to purge evil. Genesis 15 God speaking to Abram, soon to be Abraham. He says, I'm going to bring you back here if you put the scripture up. Genesis 15, 16. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Look at this, full measure. What does that mean? The sin of the Amorites not reached. That means that there's a point when the sin of the Amorites tips the scales. And it's not yet. So when the scales would be tipped, that would be a release of judgment. What would that be? It would be Abram's children, descendants, 400 years later, being the hand of God's judgment to dispossess those who were part of the promised land. But it wasn't time yet because God is still being merciful and kind. Perhaps they were going to repent. But there's a time when the scale tips. Ezekiel 7 and 2 says, Son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says, the end, the end has come. The four corners of the land. The prophets in Ezekiel's day were saying, Oh no, it's all going to be good. Everything's fine. You got nothing to worry about. It's all good. God's good. He loves us. Everything's fine. And the Lord speaks to Ezekiel and says, uh, Zeke, everything ain't fine. This is the end. It's, it's, in other words, the end means that there was a beginning. Please follow me. If there's an end, then there's a Beginning, which means that something happened in the course of Israel's history in Ezekiel's day and at other times where they turned from God and they became apostate. And then the Lord's like, oh, come on. I wanted you to repent for now. I guess you're going to the woodshed. I guess you got to get spanked. Noah preached for a long time before the flood. A preacher of righteousness, says the New Testament. God gives mercy before he brings judgment. Here comes the good part. What's the second reason that God brings judgment? To bring redemption. To bring redemption. You know, I've, I've just come out of the other side of COVID-19. Horrible. It was horrible. Now he said, I just had sniffles or whatever. Okay, praise God. May, may, if you have symptoms, may you be healed. If, 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 you're, you know, if you're struggling with it, you'll be, may you be set free. There's all kinds. I mean, talk about the variation of who's got what and what happened to who. I don't know. I, there's only a few cases that I know of that, that were worse than my wife and I. So as I was lying on the floor, crying out to God, and sprawled out, praying in tongues, quoting Scripture, 
It happened. It didn't just happen once. It happened numerous times. There's one time I, I felt physically like I was dying. I couldn't breathe. It was difficult. I was under doctor's care and believing God, trusting God, quoting scriptures. The only thing that gave me any kind of peace and lifted it a little bit was to be in a scolding hot shower. So here I am being basically burned by my shower, which I was welcoming. A depression and a heaviness and a fear trying to come on me. I couldn't hardly see it my way, my head pounding, hard to breathe, hoping that my lungs had calmed down breathing this, you know, the, the, the air. And I just started like, Lord, I'm gonna put my seatbelt on sooner. God, forgive me for, you know, I'm just like, is there anything? Is there anything in my life? Is there anything else? Lord, show me. God, show me so I can repent. Is there anything? And I'm just battling through and praying in the spirit and rocking back and forth and believing for God to just set me free in a moment of, of God's power and a moment of peace had come. Listen, when you go through difficulties, don't just go through it like a bump on a log. And, I, and the depression, can I tell you, the physical depression that came on me. Now, I have, I've been walking with the Lord a long time. I know what depression is. I don't do depression. I don't do fear. How do you know you don't do it? You're just talking about depression. You're going to visit what? Yeah, I know I was. I know what it feels like. But my thoughts... I did not let my thoughts go. I kept them, I kept them stayed on the word. I kept speaking God's word. I kept prophesying. I kept declaring, coming out of this thing, he's my healer. He's my deliverer. By your stripes, I'm healed. By your stripes, I'm healed. I curse this COVID-19 thing in the name of Jesus. I don't know why I got hit harder than other people that I know. And some people, you know, they're on ventilators. That didn't happen for us. And that's because you prayed, because I prayed and God is a merciful God. But in the midst of that. Are you saying that's God's judgment? It's not what I'm saying. Stinking Chinese designer virus released right before the election like never before. My God, I'll leave it with the Lord. But I know this, that in the midst of that, I'm thinking, how did this happen to me? Because I'm impervious. Does anybody else think the same way? <laughs> Can't touch this. I, I, I don't get sick. This is the first time I've gotten sick in, I don't know, 15, 20, 20 or 15 years, at least 15, at least 15. And yet I don't understand everything. I bound, I loosed, I took authority. And then I said, Hey God, anything, is there anything, God? And I had that dream. I had that dream. You need to change some things. Are you saying because you had some of those things that maybe you got sick? Maybe. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I'm trying to help you out right now. I'm telling you that God in the midst of it all brings redemption. Judgment is to purge evil, but it's also to bring redemption. Oh my. All right, quickly, quickly. Here we go, here we go. 1231. Amos 4, watch this. Amos 4, verse 6 and 8 through 11, five times. As Amos is a contemporary, he's a contemporary of Jonah. You go from Jonah, go back to Obadiah, and then you go back to Amos, backwards. You say, Pastor, are you serious? <laughs> if, if you can't find it, it's in the contents, table of contents, Amos. And Amos is talking to the people, and he's saying, you have empty stomachs in every city, lack of bread, yet you didn't return to me. Yet you what? Yet you've not returned to me. Verse 8. I, this and that, and you couldn't get any water, yet you've not returned to me. Many times your gardens and your vineyards were destroyed, yet you've not returned to me. I sent plagues among you in Egypt and killed your young men, yet you've not returned to me. I've overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah, yet you've not returned to me five times. 
you see these things of judgment. Let me correct this. I'm not saying that COVID-19 is judgment on America. I am not saying that. The truth is, I have no idea. I just know that judgment is real. And I'll leave it to God or what's, happen, what's happening, what's taking place at what hour and time in history. Is it from hell? We know that for sure because the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy and COVID-19 is stealing, killing, and destroying. It's underneath my feet in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the church, King's Immune Church. <laughs> Come on, raise your hand. Hallelujah, hallelujah. All right, redemption. You've now returned in Revelation 2, Revelation 3, Revelation 9, Revelation 16. Listen to these. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she was unwilling. Revelation 3.19. Those whom I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Revelation 9 talks about they did not repent of their murders and their magic arts and their sexual immorality and their thefts. They did not repent. I mean, you could go on to say they did not repent for killing 63 million babies. They did not repent for the same-sex marriage. They did not repent, repent for calling that which is evil good and good evil. All right. God's heart is that none would be lost. 2 Peter 3.9, as I bring this to a close very quickly. Mr. Worship Guy, would you come? The Lord is not slack concerning his promises as some, mount, some men count slackness or slowness, but he's long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Hell was not created for you. It's not created for me. The fact that God sent his only son to die for the whole world is evidence that God is a loving, merciful God. And he wants America to turn back to God. I look at the text very quickly. Jonah, you can read the whole, the whole book of Jonah. You can read in 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Jonah is spoken to by God. Go to Nineveh. He's like, what? Heck no. And he gets on a boat and he goes to Tarshish, completely the opposite direction. I mean, you go look on a map, you see the, the Mediterranean, you see, you see Nineveh here and you see Tarshish here. He gets on a boat and he heads the opposite direction. Some of you have been going the opposite direction that the Lord wants you to do. And Nineveh was this capital city of 100,000 people. And it was a great city, as the text said. They weren't at war. They weren't attacking Israel currently. 70 years later, they would come and wipe them out. But at this time, they weren't. Jonah disobeys. And God gets his attention. How? Through a storm. God sends a storm. And everybody on the boat is going to die. So they're all calling out on the names of their gods, except where's that Jonah guy? They go down, and he's underneath the deck. And they wake him up, and they say, well, don't you realize we're dying? Call on your God. He says, yeah, I'm going to call on my God, and, and this whole thing's my fault. He said, it is? Who's your God? Oh, he's the God of everything. What? He's the God of everything. And he says, look, I know how to fix it. Just throw me overboard. And they're, they're nice guys, nice pagans. They don't want to throw him over. But in the end, they toss him. Big fish comes and swallows him. How many of you heard of Jonah and the whale? Swallows him. We don't know if it's a whale, but it's a big fish. Swallows him. And by the way, that's happened before. A guy by the name of James Bartley, 1870 to 1909, was swallowed by a sperm whale, lived inside its stomach for 36 hours. This is, that's history. And they, they, they killed that sperm whale and were able to 
they didn't know he was in there, but as they're, you know, working on all of that, they discovered that there's a man that's living inside a sperm whale. When he came out, he was bleached white and he had seaweed on him, bleached white from the gastric juices and, uh, and he was blind and he never got his eyesight back, but he lived for, I think, 18 years or something after that. Wow. They said the whale died from constipation. I bet. Jonah's swallowed by a fish and this fish swims him all the way to Nineveh, which is like miraculous. And he spits him out on the city. Jonah went to the city of Nineveh. You know what they worship? They worship the fish god in Nineveh. So here's this guy that comes out, most likely bleached white. Can you imagine how much he stank? I've stood in slurry for endless hours. I know how much it stinks to stand in fish slurry. He came out of being inside of some kind of a fish. He couldn't get, you can't get fish stink off of you like that, my God. And the first thing he says, y'all gonna die. Everybody's like, ah, and everybody just repents. If he came in right here, right now, some of you would repent. How many had to freak him out? And then God intervenes, their hearts turn, and the whole city of 100,000 repents and gets right with God. And God relents. God gets us, well, they've repented. And Jonah gets angry. He gets angry. <laughs> he gets angry. Some of you, some of you are angry at, at people. You hope they go to hell. You need to get your heart right. Some of you are so angry at your mother-in-law, your father-in-law. Somebody said the definition of mixed emotion is watching your mother-in-law go off a cliff in your Mercedes. You need healing if you think that way. All right, God's talking to us. God's merciful. Come on, say it. God's merciful. The church must obey the Lord and believe for a harvest of souls. That's why we're here. You know, all the, all the mass and the COVID and the sickness and the infirmity and all the social distancing and all the Purell and all that crap. I said it. You want to say it again? All that crap. If you didn't hear me, let me say it again. All that crap has produced a great distraction for so many. It is about souls. Don't ever forget it. People arguing and division. We need to, that's why we're here. We're here to reach the lost. What are we doing to bring the harvest in? And I'm going to read a section here of history and we'll close. This is a section of, of history from a book written about the great revival that came to the big island of Hawaii. And a man by the name of Titus Cohen. And so let me read this to you quickly and we'll close. Titus Cohen was encouraged by the evidence of the beginnings of a spiritual awakening. Quote, now they rallied in masses and were eager to hear the word. So he came as a missionary to the Hawaiian Islands. And so he's like, wow, I think maybe the beginning of an outpouring has happened. Soon houses were visited. Soon houses he visited were filled to overflowing with protracted meetings went on late into the night. And he reached the settlement of Puna, the southeast region of the big island. Multitudes came to hear the gospel. The blind were led, the maimed, the aged, the decrepit. Many invalids were brought on the backs of their friends. There was great joy and weeping in the assembly. Also in the attendance was a brother and sister known as the high priest and high priestess of the Kilauea volcano. 
The couple murdered travelers passing the volcano, unwilling to turn over their goods. But at the service, they were born again, and they gave their lives to Christ. And the priest and the priestess yielded to Jesus and became docile members of the church. Back in Hilo, there was 23 members in 1836, but soon during the years of 1837 to 1838, there were thousands. They had to build a new building, 200 feet long, 85 feet wide. It was so crowded, it was almost suffocating. Hundreds remained outside. They built a new building that would hold 2,000 people. This is in the 1830s. God visited the people in judgment as well as mercy, Titus remembered. During evening prayers on November 7th, 1837, the earth shook mightily and a sound like a wailing of doom came along the coast of Hilo. I immediately ran down to the sea, he recalls, where this scene of wild ruin was spread before me. A giant tsunami wave had destroyed the coastal settlement. About 200 people struggled for their lives in the tsunami wave whirlpool. Wave after wave struck. Parents called for their little ones and their lost ones. This event, falling as it did, like a bolt of thunder from the sky, greatly impressed the people. And it was as the voice of God speaking to them out of heaven, be ye also ready. And a great revival ensued. I want you to know this. COVID-19 is not the end of the story. It's the beginning. And it's time to get set on fire. It's time to let the power of the Holy Ghost fill you and give you a glorious burden for your neighbor, for your, your co-worker, for people in the highways and byways to let your heart split wide open because in the end of the matter, it's not about a mask and it's not about social distancing. No, it's about God's one and only son and it's about heaven and hell that lies in the balance. And I will tell you, we are here. We will not shrink back. We will not shut up. We will move on to do what God's called us to do. We will reach the lost at any cost. We will see a great revival ensue. Our building will be done. We will plant churches all over the world. It's time for America to enter into God's plan. What is God's plan? A great revival. Not judgment. A great revival. Will judgment come to every nation? God's plan. In this hour of history, God's plan for America is awakening. Did you get something from God? You got to have a vision. I close with this. You got to have a vision. We must all embrace. And I think that's a vision to prepare yourself for judgment because you will experience it at the end, your end, my end. Prepare ourselves for judgment, to live a life worthy of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, to make no excuse, not wink at sin anymore, and to be ye also ready, and to make sure, as far as it depends on us, that we would reach people with the love of God. Reach people with the love of God. Would you stand up on your feet? Thank you for joining today's podcast. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, you can partner with us and give at kcalaska.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and enjoy more messages like this one.